back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Nat Strawn and Allie. Welcome back, guys, to episode 109 of Let's Get Haunted. And we're ready to get really fucking haunted today, right, Natalia? Yes, we are. We're so ready. And if you're also ready to get haunted, perhaps this is your first time to listen to this podcast and you want to go straight to the story from the title. You don't want to hear any of our intro. You don't want to hear us thank our donors. You don't want to hear us spam you with whatever things we're trying to promote. (laughs) Then you can open up the show notes right now in the very first sentence in all caps is going to say skip to this time in order to see the story and you can skip to that time right now we don't know what that time is because we're recording it in real time right now and then when we go through and edit it we'll know that time so you can skip to that time at any time during this intro. I would like to start off by thanking our donors. Now that all of the newbies are gone, it's only the haunties remaining. I have some very special haunties I'd like to shout out this episode. Not too long ago, I tweeted out saying that I would really like to enter LGH into some more contests, some more podcasting contests, but that as you guys may remember from last year, they're really fucking expensive. And so because of that, it's very, very difficult, dare I say impossible, for independent podcasts to enter themselves in these contests, which is why continually it's just people who are part of giant networks that get to win these awards. It's not because independent podcasts are worse. It's because they don't have the money and the funds to be able to enter. Yeah. So I tweeted that out and you guys responded and we were able to enter ourselves into two podcasting competitions for 2022. And so I'd really like to shout out everyone who contributed. Desi, Julissa D., Shane, Alyssa S, Omar Martinez, Michelle H, Zeke, Cheesy. I would like to give a very special shout out to Kelsey and Lucas, who made a very generous donation this month. I tweeted out and said, hey, we're X amount of dollars away from being able to afford to enter ourselves into these two podcasting competitions. And Kelsey and Lucas sent a Kofi donation to us on our Kofi account. They said, go win the doggone thing now. And it was for the remaining number <gasps> that I that we needed wow. to be able to enter. That is so nice. Yes. You guys, it alleviated so much much stress. Right. Yeah. Thank you all so, so much for believing in us and contributing to our dream of continuing to win awards so that (laughs) someone will recognize our value. Yes. It's amazing. I also want to thank some of our donors, Bethany K, Gentry B, Gwendolyn L, Amber A, who made a very generous donation of $100. Thank you so much, Amber Amber A. A. I will be naming my first daughter after you. Taylor. M, Jessica S, Zach B, L, D, Elizabeth J, and Elizabeth J once again, Gentry B, Hazel B, Gwendolyn L, and Gentry B once again. Thank you guys so much for donating to us. Could you guys hear that? ambulance going by right now yeah that's uh, was that like a, just a siren cheering us on there's an idea okay this is a call to action for creative haunties out there who are musically inclined if you can come up with a sick beat for <gasps> to us go in the to, background yeah of us reading the donations yeah oh imagine God. i don't know if you guys are going to be able to hear this because we may cut it out but there were a bunch of ambulances going by and it just jogged my memory about a personal haunting i have for this week mm. do we have time for me to tell you about it i don't see why not okay 
the other night, Natalia and I and one of our other friends, Amy, um, who you guys may remember from our Area 51 vlog, we went to our friend Caroline's birthday. By the time I got home, it was around 1 a.m. I let Amy out of my car. So by the time I'm inside my house, it's like 1.15. This is relevant. I go inside my house and I say hi to my dogs and I eat a cupcake and then I like go wash my makeup off and get into pajamas and lay down to bed. So by the time I'm in bed, it's probably like 1.45. My window to my room faces the backyard, which has a single palm tree in it. And as I'm laying there looking at this palm tree and it was a full moon, so it's like really bright out. I noticed that the palm tree has this weird like red light flashing on it on and off, on and off. And I'm looking at it and I'm trying to figure out what it is. And I'm like, that's weird. It's it's kind of late, but I guess my neighbor does have bonfires sometimes. Like maybe it's like my neighbor is still up and has a bonfire. And then it's like flickering, like this light just reflecting on this palm tree. And all of a sudden I hear this huge boom huge and at first you know your mind tries to justify it so i was like is it possum like that jumped from the tree limb onto my roof and i continue to lay there and i'm still looking at this light on this palm tree trying to figure out what it is and all of a sudden i hear another boom and then i'm like all right there maybe there's somebody like trying to rob me right now you know like is this someone banging on the door or is someone like sawing out like the bottom of my truck to get my catalytic converter yeah. So I run to the front of the house, look out the window, and I see my car is fine. There's nobody around. And then I see in my neighbor's window across the street, there's a reflection of flames, crazy bright flames in all of the windows, a reflection. So that means that one of my neighbor's houses is fucking on fire. Mm. And it took me a minute. I was like, what? Like, what is happening? So I run outside. And I turn and look and literally my neighbor's house is on fire. Like how, like I remember you sent me a picture. It was late. So I was already asleep and I didn't see it until the next morning. But it was, yeah, it was a big, big fire outside, like looking down this sidewalk. It was like my house, my neighbor's house, and then the house that was on fire. That yeah, was the order. It definitely looked like a fire that was big enough where people could be trapped inside and possibly, it was crazy. you know animals or people could have gotten injured or lost their lives it was insane and so i'm i'm staring at it and then more and more neighbors are coming out and keep in mind there's no ambulances there's no fire like it it just happened so did you call 911 yeah so at 2 a.m so that's what i'm saying is like that's how fast it was like right. i got home at one i got in bed at 1 45 i'm looking at this weird light i hear these bo big booms so i look out the window it was a gas fire or something like that like an explosion of some sort they, they don't know yet so it, it literally the big boom noises were my neighbor had two cars parked in his driveway. He says that he thinks that the garage caught on fire first, but because his cars were parked right in front of his garage door on his driveway, somehow the fire spread got on both of his cars and exploded one of his cars. So that's like that huge flame that I sent you a yeah, picture like of. Yeah, like just the pillar of fire. That was one of the cars that on fire. That was one of the cars on fire. And then, so I call 911 at two and they're like, oh yeah, we just got another call about it. Like we're sending out the fire department. So I'm sitting out there and then I realize like my literal next door neighbor, he is not out of his house and he's kind of like older. Yeah. And I was like, shit. So I'm banging on his house. I'm like, there's a fire. You have to get out. Cause I didn't know if it was going to spread. Right. I'm just banging, 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 banging. It takes him like 10 minutes to get up. And when he gets up, he has his shotgun because he didn't know what was going on. He just hears yeah, someone he just banging. he hears the banging and then probably heard the explosion or something like that and was like, all right. Yeah, it was like I'm someone's trying to... Ass exactly. Yeah. So he has like his shotgun behind him. He's like, what? 
like hello and i was like no it's the house next door is on fire and he's like oh shit and then he just like puts down his shotgun and goes to get his wife who's still asleep and they both come out and we're just sitting there like looking at this house on fire and we're like what the fuck and the people that live in that house are kind of older the the house that's on fire i live in like a very sleepy neighborhood Mm -hmm. And so then we're running around trying to figure out, like, did the guy get out of the house? Like, because it's a guy and his wife. Right. So we were like, holy shit. Like, did anybody even check to see if they got out? Yeah. So anyway, in the meantime, the fire department came. They sent six giant fire trucks. They had wow. paramedics. They had ambulances. Luckily, everybody made it out okay. But just like fucking crazy. Crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. So you never found out what started it or anything? No, I saw the neighbor. He like heard something in the garage and like went to look and there was just like a fire there and it spread oh, wow. so fast that all he could do was like get out. Wow. How much of the house burned down? The whole house is fucking ruined. It's totaled. It's totaled. Yeah. And I was felt so sad because, you know, I mean, it's sad no matter what when a house catches on fire, but I just felt so devastated because this is like an elderly couple retired like one of them has a disability and now their house is just fucking gone but i will say this seems relevant i dated a guy whose entire house had burned to the ground and he lived like in a in a neighborhood in san francisco and it took them eight years to rebuild it because all of the neighbors were fighting it they didn't want them to rebuild the house because it was like blocking their view oh my god what assholes i know right and luckily the fire had no loss of life like not nothing none of their animals died no one inside died so it was really just like a fuck we lost our house and everything inside of it thing but then finally when they did rebuild it it was like way nicer than it had been before because they were able to replace everything with brand new stuff and it had been right. an older house and so one time i was in the car with him and his sister and we were driving and he was like talking shit about the fire or something and these people like they literally in their home had a framed photo on the wall of their house that was on fire no. No, that's sociopathic. It was ha- haunted, right? So, like, there's just a black pillar of smoke going up in the air wow. that someone had taken a photo of it. And then, like, I guess it was, I don't know if it was in the newspaper or if someone had taken a photo of it and they just saved it. But they had that shit framed in their house on the wall. Anyways, so safe to say that there was lots of talk about the fire. And one time I was in the car, brother was talking shit about the fire and the sister's like, you know what? I think like the fire actually helped us because we wouldn't have this beautiful house if the fire hadn't happened, you know, and like it brought our family closer together. That's a great way to look at it. Before that, you know, like their dad was always working and everyone was always doing this and that. And if this forced us to like move into a smaller like rental home and like bond together as a family, whatever. I just thought that was really haunted that they had a fucking picture of their house that had burned. You know what? Now that you've given me the whole story, I feel bad for saying it's sociopathic to have a photo of their house on fire. (laughs) I think I think my initial reaction is like, why would you want to remember the worst day of your life? But now hearing how it brought them closer together, maybe it's just a reminder of like look trauma can either push us apart or bond us and in this case it bonded them so why not remember like commemorate the fire in some way well he the guy i was dating did not like that perspective that was coming from the sister he was like not happy about it he He was was like i gotta go vape yeah Um, (laughs) 
But <laughs> speaking of like framing your trauma, I was at a wedding and some of my distant family was there and they had brought a photo album to like show people because they were like, this was like before social media, right? So they were like, oh, we'll show our, you know, relatives and stuff what we've been doing because they had retired and like traveled around the world. So one, you were looking through this like book of this couple standing in front of like all these like beautiful locations. Like they're, you know, like in Thailand and they're in here and they're whatever. They're like retiring, right? Right. And then there's like some pictures of them in front of the Grand Canyon. And then the next picture is of like a body <gasps> just in the fucking Grand Canyon. What? like mangled what yes and my and my uncle or whatever's on crutches and like has a broken arm and is like yeah i fell into the fucking grand canyon and someone took a picture and she had been taking pictures and after he <gasps> fell in they, there was like you know they had to life they had to like get a helicopter oh people had to repel God. down and come get him and so she's just fucking taking pictures of this whole thing because he like survived it but then they just put that in the fucking album and i thought it was super super metal wow that is really metal you know what if you survive a haunted trauma and you want to publicize it (laughs) fucking do it you know like like if you somehow fall out of the statue of liberty and survive and there's like some pictures of you fucking that's super yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's true that's like on reddit where sometimes people will post pictures of like this is my arm before I got a titanium rod put in it. And it's like a mangled arm. And you're like, this is horrible. This is awful. But then they have a picture of their arm healed and how they're like better now. So I think maybe in some ways seeing trauma as it occurs and then seeing it as it's healed is like healing for us as a culture. Because we're like, you know what? Haunted shit happens, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, that's what Shakespeare said about Uh, the tragedies is he was like we have a human condition where we need to let out sadness and sorrow in like a safe controlled environment so we can see a sad story that leaves you feeling hopeless and just destroyed but that's not real and so it's like a safe way to feel those feelings and like get them out you know what that's beautiful (laughs) natalia and i feel like that's actually a great segue into the story i'm gonna tell you today because There are some elements of it that I think could be viewed as tragic and harrowing. But, you know, what is the purpose of this podcast? This podcast is toxic positivity. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast is looking at crazy haunted shit and trying to find trying to work through it together. Right. For a positive end. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and before I get into today's episode, I want to explain something about it. So the story I'm going to tell you today is one of those stories that's really hard to tell what's real and what's not. What is an urban legend? What is fiction? And what is like actual fact and something that really happened? Right. Because I feel like the creepier something is, the more people kind of like blow it up. Because they're like, oh, this is weird. Let me report on this. And then, you know, like all the surviving details are coming from second or third party sources or even further down the line and until it gets kind of like blown up out of proportion. But as we know from the H.H. Holmes episode, a lot of times historical events will be reported on and then the sources will be lost. And so some of these uh, like sensationalized or tabloid sort of stories are the ones that survive and there's like no way to know if they were historical facts or not, even though they could just get like remembered that way. That's And that's exactly what happens with this story. So I just want everyone to keep in mind as I tell you this story, 
if you're like a skeptic, I feel like the haunties don't mind. But if, if there are any skeptics out there listening, I don't want anyone to be like, this is so fucking fake. Right. Like this obviously didn't happen. Like you guys, this is just our podcast. I've read yeah. something interesting. I am yeah. going to tell you that interesting story. You right. decide what parts are real. They, they just get triggered. Like the skeptics like to think that they're just this rational people who don't act emotionally. But it's the opposite. They get triggered by things that aren't rational and just fucking fly off the handle. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. So if you're a really logical, rational person, then just don't get triggered by a story that's a lot of fun and may or may not be true. Yeah, it can't hurt you. It can't hurt you. <laughs> and that's also the tagline of our show. Let's Get Haunted, the only investigative journalism podcast about shit that may or may not have happened in the first place. Right. So we are going to take very seriously things that mm, we don't know if they're true or not but we're gonna treat them all like they deserve respect and i just really really like this story i read this story and i was like this is fucking amazing like it's gonna live in my head rent free i'm gonna think about it for the rest of my life and so i just want to share the joy with the haunties i'm super excited natalia are you ready to get into this week's story i am so in order to make this story um more cohesive and maybe for the people who listen with adhd to make it more accessible i'm gonna do what i did last episode because I got some positive feedback on the subreddit about it and split this into a couple of parts. So if you go into the show notes for this episode, you can see the timestamps for all of the parts of this episode. Um, some people in the subreddit said it made it easier for them to go back through and listen a second time because then they could jump to the parts that they wanted to listen to again. Interesting. Cool. So we're starting with part one, Antarctica. Today's story takes place on the Earth's southernmost continent, Antarctica. Natalia, what do you know about? I know a lot about this continent. I know that it's very secretive place, so there's lots of conspiracies about it. But most notably, I know that there is a popular conspiracy theory that places the Nazis as having a secret base in Antarctica. And yeah, I could continue going from yeah. there, but I don't want you guys to think that I'm crazy. This is all from an episode we did called Nazis in Antarctica. Exactly. Did not make this up. I'm just reporting what other people have said. <laughs> That's all we're doing is just reporting the alleged facts. So I'm actually going to refer to that episode um, in this episode. So I'm glad that you brought that up to give people a little preview, a little taste. But let me start with some basics about Antarctica. According to Wikipedia, Antarctica is the fifth largest continent, being nearly twice the size of Australia, with an area of 5,500,000 square miles. Most of Antarctica is covered by a layer of ice with an average thickness of 1.9 kilometers or 1.2 miles deep. Antarctica is on average the coldest, driest, and windiest of the continents, and it has the highest average elevation. It mainly consists of polar desert, which means that it, it receives rainfall totals low enough to classify it as a desert. But since it's so cold, it can't really be classified as a true desert. So they invented this term called a polar desert. Yeah, it makes sense. Because when I think of a desert, I think of like sand and hot. Yeah, and tortoises. And, and, yes, and camels. And uh, this is not that. Exactly. This is the opposite. I know. I thought that was interesting. Like it's all made up of frozen water right like it has this thick layer of ice but it doesn't get enough rainfall 
to be considered anything other than a desert. So they invented this term, polar desert. Yeah, it's like a loophole. Yes, it's a loophole desert. About 70% of the world's freshwater reserves are frozen in Antarctica, and Antarctica holds the record for the lowest measured temperature on Earth, coming in at negative 89.2 degrees Celsius or negative 128.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. That is so cold, I cannot even conceive of that temperature. And this is also why when we talk about climate change, uh, Antarctica is brought up a lot because 70% of the world's freshwater reserves are frozen in, in Antarctica. So if it heats up and that water melts... Now we have rising oceans, right? Right. Native species of animals living in Antarctica include mites, nematodes, penguins, seals, and tardigrades. And I feel so far, like sad for all of them. They're so cold. Have you seen those nature like things where it's just a bunch of penguins and they're all really cold and it's like really dramatic and they're no. like sitting on these eggs? Yeah, it's really stressful. Like the male penguins are all sitting on these eggs trying to incubate them. And if the egg gets away for like even a minute, then it's going to freeze and die. Oh, because it's so cold? Because it's so cold. Oh, wow. And it's really sad. And I hate that they show it. But they'll sometimes like show just like a cold egg like sitting out by itself. And there's like a distressed father penguin nature is metal i know nature is unforgiving the vegetation of antarctica consists of tundra the ice shelves of antarctica were probably first seen in 1820 during a russian expedition led by fabian gottlieb von bellingshausen and mikhail lazarev the decades that followed saw further exploration in french american and british expeditions the first confirmed landing was by a Norwegian team in 1895. In the early 20th century, there were a few expeditions into the interior of the continent. British explorer Ernest Shackleton was the first to reach the magnetic South Pole in 1907, and the geographic South Pole was first reached in 1911 by Norwegian explorers. During the summer months, about 5,000 people reside in Antarctica at research stations a figure that drops to around 1,000 people in the winter. Antarctica is governed by 30 countries, all of which are parties of the 1959 Antarctic Treaty System. According to the terms of the treaty, military activity, mining, nuclear explosions, and nuclear waste disposal are all prohibited in Antarctica. So that treaty was signed in 1959, and if you listened to our Nazis in Antarctica episode, this treaty was definitely necessary. A lot of different countries were looking at Antarctica as being some sort of like prime military base for them because they thought it would be a great location to attack a bunch of different countries. Yeah, it's like, but horrible for the people who have to live there, like the military members who have to live on the base yeah. would not be cool. It'd be like... I didn't write this down, but I watched an interview with um, Admiral Byrd, who we talk about in episode 14, and he talks about how mutinies were super common amongst military expeditions in Antarctica because it's so extreme, so brutal, and especially at night, he said, it would be really tough on people's psyche. Since Antarctica is so vast, there's no way we can talk about every haunted thing to ever happen on the continent. So... To narrow it down for today's story, we will be focusing in on one location in particular, Lake Vostok. Natalia, have you ever heard of Lake Vostok? No, that's in Antarctica? Yes. How does it have lakes? This is the perfect question because this is going to blow your mind. I did not know this existed until I started researching this story. 
So now we enter part two, Lake Vostok. Underneath Antarctica's miles and miles of solid ice, you'll find approximately 400 subglacial lakes. What? The largest of these is Lake Vostok, discovered during the Soviet Antarctic expeditions of 1959 and 1964, and later confirmed by British scientists in the early 1970s. Does stuff live in it? These are all the perfect questions you're asking because it's going to lead into this batshit story that I have for you today. And the lake is named after Vostok Station, which is a research facility that was established in, in Antarctica by the Soviet Union in 1957. The word Vostok in Russian means east, and the station was named after the lead ship of the first Russian Antarctic expedition, the Vostok. And it's also fitting that Vostok means east because Vostok Station is stationed in eastern Antarctica. So it was kind of the perfect name. When the station was first established, nobody knew that it sat directly above what would later come to be known as Lake Vostok. So it was just a happy accident, allegedly. The station, however, certainly had a colorful history right from the beginning. In 1959, for example, a fight broke out between two scientists inside the Vostok station over a game of chess. When one of them lost the game, he became so enraged that he attacked the other with an ice axe, <gasps> chopping his opponent up until he was dead. That's a true story or is that's, that a movie? No, that's a true story. What? Cabin fever. Afterwards, chess games were banned at the Soviet and later Russian Antarctic stations, and scientists living at the station were said to sometimes feel and see the ghostly presence of their dead comrade walking the halls late at night with an axe in him. What? I love, though, that like the Soviet response is like, OK, we're banning yeah, chess. That's the problem. That's here. the problem. Not that this is like a really extreme environment where people can get cabin fever and yeah. go crazy. Like not that maybe we should have like, people do stations, like let people leave and then come back. Right. Like do. Yeah. And provide extracurriculars or more entertainment for, for them. Health. It's like, no, the only Just problem no was chess. chess. Yeah. Yeah. Sometime around the end of 1959 or early 1960, a Soviet pilot flying over Vostok Station observed that there was a large, smooth, flat depression in the ice different from the surrounding area, leading him to believe that there might be a geographic anomaly underneath the station itself. Reports regarding who exactly was the first to detect Lake Vostok's presence vary wildly depending on which source you believe. The Soviets claim that one of their own geographers, Andrei Kapitsa, used seismic soundings in 1959 and again in 1964 to measure the thickness of the ice sheet. They claim that his findings led him to believe that the ice stopped after a few miles with a large empty space between the end of the ice sheet and the top of the bedrock. In this empty space, Kapitsa supposedly theorized that there could be a large underground lake. However, the British claim that, regardless of whether or not Kapitsa really did think there was a lake under Vostok, it was never actually anything more than a whim that he had until they, the British, sent their own scientists to perform airborne ice-penetrating radar surveys in the early 1970s. 
the British claim that their surveys are what definitively proved the presence of a liquid freshwater lake miles below the Antarctic surface. Then, in the late 80s and early 90s, the Mullard Space Science Laboratory in London began employing mediums adept at remote viewing to study the Earth. In 1991, one of these, quote, remote sensing specialists named Jeff Ridley reported that if the British directed their polar satellite to specific coordinates near an Antarctic ice cap, they would find an underwater lake of great interest. When the laboratory listened to Jeff Ridley and did so, their satellite's high-frequency array did in fact detect an anomaly in the area Ridley said it would be. When the British informed the Soviets about their discoveries and asked to be able to partake in a drilling expedition to reach the lake, the Soviets denied them access to Vostok Station and claimed to already be aware and on top of it, supposedly already working on launching their own expedition. Wow, everyone's so competitive. I know. Over this stupid lake that doesn't even, we wouldn't even know it's there. I know, it's just. Like, literally pretend it's not there. It's essentially the same. But this is exactly, like, a perfect illustration of how crazy people were about Antarctica. Right. Like, all of these countries wanted to have the prestige of, like, establishing the first research station, traveling, being the first to travel to the magnetic South Pole, being the first to travel to the South Pole, mm-hmm. planting their flag on, like, a mountain. Like It was like a space race, but an yeah, Antarctica race. Totally. So that's why I'm saying, like, we're not really sure who the first person to figure out that there was a lake underground there was, because... The Soviets are like, oh, it was definitely us. We, like, established this station, and then we used our superior technology to detect the lake. And then the British are like, no, 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 no. Your technology is inferior to ours. We not only detected it with our ground-penetrating radar, but we also had a medium um, at our, like, high-tech, high-top-secret facility in London that had us direct our satellites there. So we, like, have, like, more knowledge than you and more ability than you. Yeah, well, it's working. It's working. We don't. We still, to this day, don't know who really detected it first. So, Natalia, I'm going to show you a map that shows Antarctica's underground lake and river system because Lake Vostok is not the only subglacial lake. This is crazy. I never knew this. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is, well, this is really crazy here. So, Alyssa's showing me a map, and it's basically showing that if you lift up the continental ice sheets that are on top of Antarctica, it's it's got a ton of, yeah, lakes and rivers. This is really crazy. Go to at Let's Get Haunted on Instagram to see these photos. This makes me think that eventually, once we have the technology, instead of just, like, changing our ways, like, for, you know, to, like, consume less, someone's going to be like, well, we'll just harvest the fresh water that's under Antarctica. Yeah, yeah. And bottle it up and make the new Dasani. Like, right. what are you talking about? We can't do that? Like, no, that's a great point. Yeah. Well, and I think that could, maybe that's one of the reasons, like, a good example of why they, we all had to sign this treaty, like, all of these countries around the world had to sign this treaty being like, look, dude, you can only go to Antarctica if you're doing research. Yeah. We will not allow you to harvest its natural resources we will not allow you allow you to test nukes down there we will not allow you to set up military bases down there like because this shit is like way too fragile of an environment and also like and also we we're definitely going to need this at some yeah. point once yeah like maybe in the next 500 years even so like 
Yeah. And that's actually something Admiral Byrd said in this interview I was watching of him. Um, if you guys don't know, Admiral Byrd was a pilot and then later an admiral um, for the U.S. military during the, I believe he started off as a pilot in the 20s and then was working during um, during like Hitler's reign. And he went down to Antarctica. He also went to the North Pole. He did like a bunch of crazy shit. But one of the things he said in the interview I was watching is like, Antarctica is going to be so important in the future because of all of the natural resources down there. And so... Yeah, like you said, maybe people are thinking, look, in the future, worst case scenario, we're going to all need to go down there yeah. and save humankind yeah. with the coal and the metals and the right. oil that's in Antarctica. Yeah. And there are quite a few things that make Lake Vostok interesting for scientists because as you guys are looking at this map at Let's Get Haunted on Instagram, you might be thinking, well, if there's so many fucking subglacial lakes and rivers, then why do we give a shit about Lake Vostok? Why is this so important? Well, first, it is thought that Lake Vostok is the largest subglacial lake in the world, measuring about the size of Lake Ontario in North America. According to an article written by David Funkhauser for the Columbia Climate School, quote, Some believe Vostok, the largest of hundreds of lakes beneath the ice, has been sealed off from the outside world for 15 to 20 million years or more. Wow, I wonder if there's like dinosaurs now. Right? Like, just imagine and speculate that it may reveal unknown species of microbes and other life forms living in extreme conditions of cold, dark, and high pressure. The frill. Scientists say samples from the lake could tell us something about how life evolved in the distant past, perhaps back hundreds of millions of years. The lake also could open a window in, onto conditions existing on less hospitable places around the solar system, such as on Mars or Jupiter's moon Europa. Yeah, and we could probably water ski on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like exploring another planet, except this one is ours, Robin E. Bell, a research professor at Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory, told the Associated Press. So basically, in layman's terms, if people stopped listening, is that the intense pressure from the miles and miles of ice above Lake Vostok creates enough pressure to generate just enough heat to create an underground cavity of liquid water where, potentially, organisms that are millions of years old have been able to thrive, grow, and live. The conditions needed to create such an environment does not exist anywhere else on Earth besides Antarctica. This means that, assuming scientists are correct, organisms that first formed over 15 million years ago could be living in this space, untouched and uncontaminated, completely foreign and unlike any other organisms living on Earth. In fact, like research professor Robin E. Bell reported in the quote that I just read, many scientists also think that the conditions of Lake Vostok are the closest replica to Jupiter's moon Europa, which is also theorized to have miles of thick ice above possible liquid water. Therefore, this discovery and subsequent study could provide life-changing research opportunities for us on Earth. And I'm going to play you a video uploaded in 2013 by the YouTube channel NASA Video, where researcher Dr. David Morrison discusses the significance of Lake Vostok in a three-minute interview. Lake Vostok is, is a unique environment on Earth. It's a big lake of liquid water about the size of Lake Ontario under more than two miles of ice in the heart of the Antarctic. It's a lake that has been separated 
from the atmosphere and life on Earth for millions of years, going its own way, and we want to know what's down there. NASA has several interests in this lake. One is it may be an analog to the conditions on a place like Jupiter's moon Europa, which has a thick icy crust and liquid water underneath, where we might someday like to send probes. It also represents a very interesting research for studying life on Earth, because this water has been going its own way for millions of years. We don't know what's in there that's alive, and we don't know how it may have evolved, and it's going to be really fascinating exploration to get down there. There are many icy moons in the solar system, and some of them are thought to have liquid water below the ice. Europa, however, is the only one where the, the ice is only a few miles thick, so perhaps that's the closest analog to Lake Vostok. The Russians have been doing this project for 20 years. They finally reached the lake, and that's exciting for scientists everywhere. NASA is certainly interested in the results, although we're not directly involved. One of the interesting questions is whether the Russians can get to the lake and sample the lake without also contaminating it with material from the drill. And they're taking special precautions on that, but, but scientists all over the world are anxious to see how they will do it. They are apparently going to let some of the water come up into the drill hole and freeze and then go down there the next Arctic summer to that frozen water and analyze that before they think about going into the liquid itself. It's really exciting for astrobiologists for two reasons. One, it may give us a hint of how we can search for life elsewhere, like Jupiter's moon Europa. And secondly, it gives us a window on a possible biosphere on Earth that's different from anything we have sampled before. We're talking about pure exploration here, going to an environment unlike any we've ever seen before. Maybe it'll be dull, but usually when we go somewhere new, we find new things, perhaps things that are very interesting for the life on Earth and the way it evolves. In that same article by David Funkhauser from February of 2012 that I quoted earlier, he goes on to write, quote, Russian scientists this week finished penetrating more than two miles through the Antarctic ice sheet to Lake Vostok, a huge freshwater lake that has been buried under the ice for millions of years. The feat has taken two decades to accomplish, but the scientists won't know what they've found until next year. The team quickly exited the research station, located in the middle of the continent 800 miles from the South Pole, to avoid increasingly harsh polar conditions. When the drilling reached the lake, 3,769 meters, or 12,366 feet down, water, under great pressure from the ice above it, shot up through the borehole and froze. The Russians say that this kept the chemicals used in the drilling process from entering the lake. They will return during the next Antarctic summer to retrieve the sample of frozen lake water and analyze it. Quote, it would be the first sampling of a subglacial lake of the biggest subglacial lake, said Robin E. Bell, a research professor at Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory, whose work has helped map Vostok and other such lakes under the Antarctic ice. An international team of scientists has pulled ice core samples in the area from more than 3,600 meters in depth, offering a detailed environmental record reaching back 400,000 years. 
I'm just picturing like a luxurious water company bottling it and being like subterranean antarctic water untouched for 15 million years drink the organisms of our ancestors (laughs) drink the missing link yeah it definitely (laughs) has a lot of opportunity marketing opportunity yes so it kind of makes sense that the brits and the russians are like fighting over who gets to say that they found it they found it Yeah. yeah And this ice core sample that the Russians pulled from the area at more than 3,600 meters in depth um, offers a detailed environmental record reaching back 400,000 years, covering four complete ice age climate cycles. They found evidence below 3,538 meters that the ice on the lower portion of the sheet consists of water refrozen from Lake Vostok. While the initial contact reportedly avoided contaminating the lake with the lubricants and antifreeze that were used to push down through the ice, Bell says that the project will remain controversial. The Russians plan to continue probing into the lake, possibly inserting a remote-controlled vehicle. The Russian Vostok station sits above the lake in the coldest spot in the world, where the temperature has been recorded at negative 129 degrees Fahrenheit. Why don't they just send their median, their medium to like go look at this? Because lake? that's British. That's oh. not Russian. The Russian don't have access to this supposed medium that helped discover the lake. They just are going to contaminate it with a bunch of antifreeze. <laughs> I'm so glad you pointed that out because this is super controversial. Like they're saying in this article, it's a huge like gain for the scientific community if we can reach this lake, right? But yeah, but it's only valuable if it's untouched. Exactly, so and it's uncontaminated. Like a catch-22. Right. How so, do we get to it? Exactly. And so the British are like, hey, we should be able to have some hand in this to like supervise and oversee and make sure you guys don't contaminate it. And then the Russians are like, no, like fuck you. You think we can't do a good job? Like we can absolutely do this. So in this quote that I was reading, it was reported in 2012 that the Russians had reached the lake. But then the lake shot up and they're like, and that's how we know it's not contaminated. So like, we're fine. Right, right. Because they're drilling with antifreeze and different chemicals because it's fucking cold down there. It's negative 129 degrees Fahrenheit. Invasive, very invasive way to get into this lake. Right. So as they're drilling down, they have to put these lubricants on their drill so that the drill doesn't fucking freeze or Mm -hmm. break off. Um, and, and they drill all the way down to this lake. But then when they reach the lake, the Russians say, oh, well, because of all of this high pressure from the ice above, it was like a geyser, like yeah. a geyser shot up. But it's so cold that it froze in place and like plugged the hole back up again. But the Russians are like, this is actually great because it means that there was no contamination to the lake. And next summer, when it's a tiny bit warmer, we're going to come back to Vostok Station and take an ice core sample from this water that shot up. Right. Like, no matter what happens, we're doing a good job. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So this was obviously great news. Media was essentially reporting that history had been made and the Russians had drilled far enough down through the ice to reach Lake Vostok. But after this news hit, suddenly everything went quiet. This huge, bragworthy event that any nation should be heroically proud of simply disappeared from the headlines with no real updates. Obviously, they found something that they can't publicize. And this is where a bit of conspiracy theory and a bit of urban legend begins to form. According to some, when Russian scientists reached the liquid lake through ice core drilling, What they found living in the water below was so incredible 
and so terrifying that it was immediately sealed and kept secret from the public. Part 3. Organism 46B Dr. Anton Padalka shivered atop the hard crust of ice where he and seven other researchers were perched. All eight had traveled to Vostok Station in eastern Antarctica years before to continue the important work being carried out in the name of the Russian government. Each of the seven men and one woman were clad in several layers of clothing to keep warm as best they could, despite the whipping winds and unforgiving Antarctic climate. It was summer, but even the summers here were brutal. The thermometer's reading at the entrance to the research base that morning had blinked proudly, minus 51 degrees Celsius. Dr. Padalka brushed snow crystals from his moleskin trousers and straightened a wool sweater beneath his waterproof parka. Each of the researchers had been outfitted with a harness by which they would eventually be slowly lowered one by one into a hole their fellow engineers had drilled 2.2 miles through the icy floor. The hole was barely large enough for one person to squeeze through. And as Anton Padalka watched the first of his co-workers be lifted into the tunnel, he thanked the universe that he had not been born with claustrophobia. Through ground-penetrating radar, the engineering team had determined that the ice tunnel would end above a six-foot drop onto an underground ice ledge sitting in Lake Vostok. The plan was for the researchers to be lowered onto this ice ledge and wait. Once all eight of them were present, their scuba gear would then be lowered down into the hole for them as well. What researcher has the balls to go through a tiny tube for two and a half miles down into where supposedly there's going to be a ledge for them and this huge, like, cold, pressurized place where we don't know what kind of chemicals or gases are down there and then they're just going to put on a fucking scuba suit and go for a little look? I mean, only a Russian would be hardy enough to take on this challenge. Think of like Yuri Gagarin, Gagarin, the Russian cosmonaut, which we talked about in the Phantom Cosmonaut episode. Like these Russians are built different. Like they get launched into space or stuck underground and like they don't know whether or not they're going to be able to make it home and they just do it. Right. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) The hole would be too narrow for anyone to be lowered in while wearing the cumbersome flippers and oxygen tanks. But through bundling and lowering each suit down piecemeal, everyone would eventually have all their gear with them underground. Cramped along the ice ledge, the researchers would each change, being careful not to get their land clothes wet, and then descend down into Lake Vostok to collect water, ice, and specimen samples of whatever they could find. Was Anton scared? Of course but he was also electrified with the kind of excitement that can only come from knowing that you will be among the first group of humans to ever enter an unexplored region. This was better than climbing Everest or traversing the Sahara Desert, better even than launching into outer space. For whatever was swimming in Lake Vostok, untouched and undiscovered for the past 15 million years, would change the course of history. Anton's family back in Russia would be rewarded. 
He might even be made into a national hero, like the famous astronaut Yuri Gagarin. I wonder if they'll make a statue of me, Anton fantasized. Before he knew it, it was his turn. The last to descend, Anton made the sign of the cross as his harness was clipped to the rope and pulley system of the research station's industrial crane. He was lifted square above the ice tunnel and all he could see below his body was blackness. Then his feet began to lower into the hole. Slowly, the hole swallowed his ankles, then his calves, then his knees, when it reached his thighs, Anton stiffened his arms tightly to his sides and involuntarily sucked in his stomach, suddenly worried that he might not fit. But of course he did, and as daylight disappeared above his head, there was nothing left to do but wait, and wait to land on his feet on the ice ledge below. Ivan Antonov put his gloved hand to the rope that had just lowered Anton. By his calculation, Anton should now be at the ledge. He waited several minutes until he felt some faint tugs on the rope, the signal letting those above ground know that the researcher had successfully reached the ledge and detached himself from the pulley. The crew on the ledge were equipped with radios to speak to each other, but the signal would not penetrate the ice back to the engineers above ground. Up, Ivan shouted back to his co-workers. The rope was lifted with a swiftness. Since no one was attached this time, the crew needn't worry about injuring anyone with speed. Over the next half hour, eight full scuba suits were lowered down. Upon lowering the last suit, the crew had been ordered to leave the rope down there. The researchers were authorized only three hours to explore Lake Vostok and gather samples. Once the three hours elapsed, they had been instructed to change back into their dry clothes and choose who would be attached to the rope first. At three hours and 40 minutes, the rope would again be lifted and all divers would come up one by one. When only one man remained on the ledge, the scuba gear would be lifted out, then the specimens, then the final diver. But for now, there was nothing for Ivan and his fellow engineers to do but wait. Down on the ledge, the eight researchers were now the eight divers. Each had successfully changed into a full scuba suit, complete with an industrial strength headlamp and a net handbag full of jars and tubes for collecting water and specimen samples. One by one, they each excitedly, nervously, jumped into the cold waters of Lake Vostok but they could never have imagined the horrors that awaited them below. Meanwhile, above ground, the three hour time period elapsed. After 40 more minutes, the rope was slowly lifted up the 2.2 mile tunnel as planned. But to the horror of the engineers, there was nothing attached to it. The rope was lowered again. After 30 more minutes, it was raised, still nothing. After four more tries, the engineering team was in a full-blown panic. After consulting with the Kremlin, it was determined that it would be too risky to send anyone else down the tunnel. Instead, the team was ordered to simply keep lowering and raising the rope every 30 to 40 minutes, 24 hours a day, until hopefully someone would come up. 
And what if nobody ever comes up? asked Ivan. His superior's face was grim. You can't think like that, son. Finally, after five days, Dr. Anton Padalka came up the ice tunnel, wet, freezing, with frostbitten fingers, pale and close to death, panting as he was rushed into Vostok Station. Two more researchers would soon ascend, one by one, from the tunnel. Where are the others? Anton's superior demanded. Gone, Anton responded. They're gone. Natalia, before I continue, let me stop here. What do you think of this story so far? I'm on the edge of my seat. I love this story. Keep going. Don't worry about me. Just tell me what (laughs) happened. Like, what do you mean? Who cares what I think? The next part of the story would only be learned months later when Anton Padalka defected to Switzerland and went public with his story. The following has been compiled from several sources that I will cite at the end of this episode, including one source written by author C. Michael Forsyth. Vostok Station, established by the Soviets in 1957, was discovered to have been sighted atop a vast body of liquid water beneath the ice in 1974, which was subsequently named Lake Vostok after the station. After 30 years of ice core drilling, the research team finally breached through the lake on the 5th of February, 2012. Dr. Anton Padalka claims to be one of the eight researchers chosen by the Kremlin to descend into Lake Vostok as part of an exploratory scientific mission to collect specimen samples of the lake. Just as the eight-man team neared the lake, all communication with the outside world mysteriously ceased. As days crept by and the researchers failed to respond to increasingly frantic efforts to reach them, fellow scientists worldwide feared the worst. No word from the ice for five days, Dr. John Prescu, a professor of ecology at Montana State University and head of a similar Antarctic exploration program, grimly told Fox News at the time. I can only imagine what it's like. Dr. Anton Padalka told authorities in Switzerland that the researchers discovered a bizarre and deadly life form dubbed Organism 46b, a highly intelligent octopus-like creature that claimed the lives of five of the team members. Although the creature has 14 arms instead of the usual eight, it kills in a similar manner to an ordinary octopus, seizing its prey, injecting it with paralyzing saliva, then dismembering it into small pieces with its beak. But Organism 46B has another trick up its sleeve. We encountered Organism 46B on our first day while conducting a preliminary dive in our low-temperature wetsuits, Padalka recounts. It disabled our radio, which we later learned to our alarm was intentional. It is able to paralyze prey at a distance of up to 150 feet by releasing its venom into the water from an organ similar to its ink sac. Tragically, my colleague and lifelong friend, Dr. Vindogradov, was killed in this way. As Padalka stated, my colleague tread water, wearing a blissful smile as the organism approached him. We all watched helplessly as it used its arms to tear off his head then popped his remains into its mouth. It was as if it had hypnotized him telepathically. Still later, 46B continued to stalk the group, displaying its shape-shifting ability. 
Many species of octopus can alter their appearance, usually to avoid large predators, Dr. Padalka explained. Sacks of colorful pigments called chromatophores allow them to change colors. And by contracting their muscles, they can blend in with the smooth ocean floor or a craggy coral reef. The well-known mimic octopus can contort its boneless body to take on the shape of a sea snake or stingray. But as Padalka reported to our correspondence, Organism 46b wasn't just shape-shifting into some other ocean-dwelling creature. Quote, it shaped itself into the form of a human diver. We thought it was one of my colleagues swimming toward us in scuba gear. By the time the closest scientist realized what it was, it had grabbed him and torn him to bits, limb from limb. Escaping the creature, a member of the team managed to lop off one of 46B's tentacles. If an arm of an ordinary octopus is cut off, the severed limb will crawl away, sometimes even seize prey and place it into the mouth of the octopus. Experts say that because each arm contains a cluster of neurons, essentially its own brain, it's able to do this. The arms of organism 46B demonstrated a chilling knack for operating autonomously too. In this instance, the creature's severed limb reportedly attacked the group again. Padalka went on to explain that once the remaining divers made it back to the ice ledge where they were to change out of their scuba gear, they were still fighting for their lives. After our sole female researcher chopped off one of its arms with an axe, the severed limb yanked the weapon out of her hands, recalled Padalka. That night, the arm slithered onto the icy bank where we were sleeping and strangled her to death. Padalka reports that they had lost their headlamps in the lake during the struggle, and due to a combination of fear, total darkness, and fighting the organism on and off, it took days before they could successfully find and reattach themselves to the rope system that was to pull them back out of their prison. At one point, one of the organism's severed limbs almost seemed to be guarding the area where the pulley was located. Asked why it took them so long to find their way back above ground, Padalka remarked the following, From the way it adapted each time we changed our tactics, we became convinced it is at least as intelligent as an average human. If we were not all PhDs, I fear it would have outwitted all of us in the end. And indeed, for five of my colleagues it did. Once back on solid ground, Padalka and his colleagues thought their nightmare was over. However, after their incredible tale reached the ears of Vladimir Putin, they were ordered to go back down into the lake to collect the specimen inside a cylindrical glass tank. We didn't want to go back, Padalka said, but when Putin demands something, you either do it or you die trying. And indeed, another colleague would reportedly die while trying to retrieve the specimen. While wrestling with the organism, he somehow chopped off several inches of a few tentacles. The tentacles seemed to shapeshift and swim on their own like a school of fish. They circled his head, blinding him, while the organism shot black ink into his eyes. The chaos made it hard to see what happened, but when the ink cleared, my friend was gone. Somehow, Padalka and the final remaining divers managed to trap the creature in the tank as ordered. Once brought to the surface, Padalka claims that Russian officials immediately seized the beast, and the program's director promptly ordered that the borehole be immediately plugged. One of my colleagues sacrificed his life to trap the beast, Padalka said. He acted as bait, 
swimming into the glass tank for the creature to eat. That's how we finally trapped him. There was simply no other way. The surviving researchers expected to be honored internationally for their bravery and scientific contribution. To their great disappointment, however, the Russian government claimed that the team had found no life in Lake Vostok and denied that any divers had even entered the water. There's nothing much down there, I can assure you that, reads a statement by the chief of the Vostok research station, A.M. Yelagin. The director of the Russian Antarctic expedition, Valery Lukin, admitted that the plug had been put in place, but called the precaution routine and not in response to any danger, but rather to preserve the integrity of the underground ice biome and prevent outside contamination. U.S. and British experts were puzzled by the announcement. It's a little bit of an anticlimax, geologist Dr. David L. McEnroy of the UK said on TV at the time. It's hard to believe we were so wrong about there being unusual life down there. Dr. Padalka claims he fled his native country in July after learning to his horror that the government is planning to put the discovery to military use. Some species of octopus lay 200,000 eggs, he pointed out. Imagine if they were deposited into reservoirs and lakes across North America. Dr. Padalka also hinted that Prime Minister Putin had expressed interest in synthesizing the potential deadly venom produced by Organism 46B to use in biological warfare. The Russian government calls the whistleblower's claims preposterous. It is preposterous, declared Mikhail Belochkin of the Bureau of Truthful Information. It sounds like something you might see on one of your science fiction TV channels. The Cold War is over, my friends. If our scientists made a discovery of such magnitude, do you seriously doubt that we would share it with the world? He's talking too much. It sounds like a lie. <laughs> Natalia, what do you think of this story of Organism 46B? Uh, while I'm listening to this story, I was literally thinking how I will not accept stories that aren't like this from you from now on. Yeah. <laughs> this is so nice. Like, I'm just sitting here. I'm not having to think too hard. And I'm just taking in, like, great information. My brain is going everywhere. Like, I, like, it's just too, it's too much. I can't. It's crazy. It's This is a crazy story, and I'm very interested in it. And, uh, yeah, I was just thinking, like, oh, if they didn't plug it up, like, what if this thing got out? Would it be able to survive in, you know, not, in our world? not Lake Valchek or whatever it's called? Yeah. No, yeah, not Lake Vostok, where yeah. there's, like, extreme cold and pressure and darkness. Yeah. yeah could it survive? Yeah. It's li been living in Lake Vigismus now yeah. for <laughs> millions of years. And is it going to be okay when it gets on the outside? And then it was just like, yeah, it's like a horror movie. It's like The Thing. It totally is. It's like The Thing um, or like The Creature of the Black Lagoon. Like it's very fantastical, which I and love. They, yeah. And they cut off one of his limbs and then the limb like comes and attacks them at night. Yeah. It's making me think if they're taking samples of this thing, like what's going to keep those samples from regenerating? Being sentient. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. And this is like a great cryptid story. And like, for me, this is like the pinnacle of cryptid stories. Yeah, I love cryptid stories. I love the suspension of disbelief and hearing like this fantastical story that could be a movie like Creature right. of the Black Lagoon. I know like, I was seeing it in my mind. Like I was seeing the actors being like d going through this, you know, little tube or whatever. And it's like really long and they're panicking. Also, I can't even imagine like 
Can you imagine being a scientist in Russia and like wanting to be like, you know, you want to bring pride to your country. You want to possibly selfishly, maybe you want to be like a local hero. Maybe you want your family to get some sort of stipend or recognition from the government. Like maybe you want to be famous. Um, And then you go down into this tube thinking you're going to be, I mean, you're going to be the first person ever in this environment. There's international interest. Like the British are fighting over this. Like everyone is interested. The U.S. has researchers that are like, you know, oh, we can't wait, right? Like we can't wait to see what happens when they go down there. Like that Associated Press interview with that um, Dr. Bell. And she's talking about like, this is like the craziest shit ever. Mm -hmm. There's NASA scientists doing interviews talking about like, this is so important because if we can get to this area, what's stopping us from getting to, you know, Europa, right. this moon in outer moons. space yeah. yeah, and like doing the same thing there and finding life there. Like this is international fame. Right. And you think you're going to make it big, but then instead five days later, you're swimming into a little tube trying to lure a monster in there to eat you. And you're a hero because you saved your, you know, people, but like they don't even broadcast it. No. It's just kept a secret. Right. Because according to Dr. Anton Padalka, who is telling us this story after defecting to Switzerland, supposedly, um, he's saying like, you know, Vladimir Putin thinks that this finding, this like organism that we found, he thinks he can harness it, synthesize the venom, which is like can shoot up to 150 feet. It's super potent. It paralyzes before it kills. And as we know in real life, Putin poisons people that disagree with him, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are tons of examples throughout history of him killing people that speak out against him, people that try to run against him, um, you know, former secret agents that like come out against his regime. He famously poisons people and he Mm -hmm. can reach people in other countries. So if he can get his hands on this super potent new venom that has no anti-venom because it's never been seen before, like he could synthesize this and turn it into bio-warfare, biological warfare. Yeah, I mean, it's not far off either. Like, we know that during the Nazi regime, they were doing stuff like this. Like, they were doing crazy experiments trying to come up with the next the next military-grade weapon yeah. that nobody could fend off. And I'm glad you just brought that up because now we get into part four, the theories. And one of these theories is going to involve our German Nazi I was going to say friends, but not friends, <laughs> like the German Nazi Antarctic expedition conspiracy theory that we talked about in episode 14. Um, but first, before I get into that theory, let's start with the most basic, right? On this show, we like to start with the basic and go to the most tinfoil hat. So theory number one, a hoax. If you go to cryptids.fandom.com, which is like the, the Wikipedia. Source yeah. of all things cryptid. <laughs> totally. It's the Wikipedia of cryptid stories. Um, You can read like a a summary of this story that I just read to you. And at the bottom section of the page for Organism 46B, they have this written, quote, elements of this report suggest that this was something of a hoax. For example, not only is it extremely far-fetched, but ice core drilling typically produces a passage only a few inches in diameter, certainly not large enough to transport a person through two miles of ice. Never mind an entire tank capable of containing a 33-foot-long aquatic creature. Moreover, the extreme pressures would have made many parts of this journey implausible. Example 1. The first casualty could not have been affected by the toxin, as the only way to survive at such pressures in water would be within a pressurized vessel or suit. 
Thus, there would be no contact with any toxins in the water. Example 2. The second casualty was tricked by an image of a human diver in scuba gear. However, a human would have been killed in such scuba gear, meaning it should have been somewhat suspicious to see an unprotected human in such a pressurized environment. Another inconsistency involves the fact that the ice directly above the water in the lake is formed from lake water itself. This was why the drilling team realized that there was an underground lake in the first place. This means that there should be no space between the water and ice, and thus no ice shelf to set up camp on. However, it is certainly possible that the team was doing more than drilling core samples. Another point to note is that Dr. Padalka has so far proven impossible to locate, although this could be due to him being in hiding. And the account is known from only a handful of vague sources. Others claim that the character of Dr. Padalka and the bulk of the story was made up by the fiction author C. Michael Forsyth. Points for this being a hoax include that nobody has ever been able to find Dr. Padalka since he supposedly gave this interview when he defected to Switzerland. However, Dr. Padalka could simply be in hiding, or he could have already been murdered for speaking out against Putin. Skeptics also think the reason that Russians could be hiding their research and being so secretive about the exploration of Lake Vostok could be as simple as they fucked up and contaminated the lake and don't want anyone to find out because it would be embarrassing. Yeah. Now, okay, so the points for this being a hoax, people say, look, this lake has way too much pressure, so nobody could survive down there without a pressurized dive suit, like a metal dive yeah. suit. And if they're wearing a metal dive suit, how could the toxin have gotten to them? Mm -hmm. However, I do have rebuttals for this. Okay. So there are videos you can find online of people swimming under Antarctic ice shelves. So they're in the water, they're swimming down there. Now, to their credit, it is like maybe 10, 20 feet of ice versus miles of ice. But still, we do have footage. Yeah, and were they Russians? Because they are built different. They are built different. <laughs> They're impervious to high-pressure situations, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Yes. But also, um, I was reading an article that said, look, this is what we think Lake Vostok is like, but we've if we've never been down there or there's no like footage, how do we really know? And if there are rivers that run into Lake Vostok, then who's to say that there isn't like, you know, like some sort of system that doesn't have as much pressure down there? Like we literally don't know what the environment is like. Right. So how can we say, oh, there's too much pressure for a human? Right. And also I'm going to show you some pictures of diagrams of what we think Lake Vostok looks like. Okay. I am looking at a diagram and it's showing... Um, what is it showing? Yeah, it's showing like uh, is, ice drill. Mm -hmm. It looks like a straw going down. And you know what it looks like? It looks like when you look at a diagram of a pimple, yeah. like the skin, like I'm looking at the dermis and then there's like a lower layer and then there's like a little pus pimple, whatever, at the bottom, which is the lake. And is there an ice shelf in this? Yeah. Is that what it is? Okay, yep. yeah. And then I'm seeing the ice shelf, which is like frozen water i guess yeah i mean you guys can go look at these diagrams on at let's get haunted on instagram but basically some of these diagrams show that we know or we believe that there is like bedrock and ice that pokes up from this lake to form like an island for lack of a better term mm -hmm. um and as we learned some of 
the people who have done ground penetrating radar and including this British medium who like sensed that something was down there. Some people say that, no, there is evidence that there's like an empty space. There's ice, an empty space, then an island or an ice shelf. And then there's this lake. Mm -hmm. And some people even theorize, some scientists even theorize that there could be other tributaries coming into this lake, feeding it like different river systems or different cave systems. So I think those are all good arguments against it being a hoax, because who's to say that the environment wouldn't support a diver in scuba gear? I don't know. I'm just saying we can't know if we've never been there. Yeah. I mean, I took this astronomy class in uh, college and I was so surprised at like how many crazy things happen in order to make an environment like you would be like a question would be like okay you know how is this rock created and you're like well there's lava and then it you know dries and it's like hot and then it makes a rock and they're like no actually the air contacting with the hot lava creates these like fissions in the the you know fucking rock and then that's what creates these rocks it's not that the lava just dried that way right you know so i feel like when it comes to shit like this the way that I see the world just doesn't apply. You right. Know? Like I'm like, oh, doesn't like if you're like, doesn't make sense for there to be a uh, ice shelf there. I'm here to tell you that nothing makes fucking sense. Yeah. And there's proof of that all around us. Look, we Grand use- Canyon. You're yeah. like, it's a big fucking hole. If someone was like, no, 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 that's that's actually made from water. You would be like, no, 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 that doesn't sound right. Yeah, yeah. Or like we used to think that the earth was the center of the universe. Now we know that's not true. So I'm yeah. just saying who is to say right. that so a I, human couldn't survive in yeah, this environment? Yeah, we're constantly learning new things. Right. Okay. Theory number two, a prehistoric giant octopus. We know this lake has been untouched for at least 15 million years. If we believe that the Russians reached the lake and found the octopus then it stands to reason that the octopus may be a prehistoric cephalopod with capabilities not yet observed on modern Earth. That sounds really plausible to me. Look, all I'm <laughs> just here to say, who's to say? Yeah, prehistoric cephalopod. Okay, let's go. All right, theory number three, the black diver. Oh, yeah, we know this one. So wait, in this theory, did this thing escape and like go? <gasps> Does it have underground tunnels where it can go like out to the rest of the ocean? Look, who's to fucking say? All I know is that this theory comes from episode 107, The Black Carpet and the Black Diver. That episode was just under two hours long, so there's literally no time to explain. But if you're interested in this theory, definitely go listen to episode 107 after this episode ends. But for those who want just a little taste, here is the TLDR. Deep sea divers and those who work underwater have reported encountering a free-floating diver who sometimes waves at them, sometimes make, makes hand signals to them, and other times just floats like dead weight making no movements at all. However, the motions, or sometimes lack thereof, of this mysterious figure give it away as it seems to move with the current and move without kicking its flippers, giving observers an odd uncanny valley effect. When divers approach, they often assume it's someone in need of help due to not returning hand signals, and the lack of movement apparently mimics how someone with oxygen deprivation, the bins, or nitrogen narcosis would act. 
the figure quickly shapeshifts into a large black octopus that then either inks at them or jets away into the distance. Skeptic theories for this phenomenon range from nitrogen narcosis to a large undiscovered mimic octopus, while believer theories range from a ghost of a dead diver to a cryptid, perhaps organism 46b? So this theory is basically saying the black diver could be organism 46b. This phenomenon where divers underwater all see the same creature that mimics. It's essentially an octopus that mimics a diver. You get close. You realize the suit is empty. It's fucking creepy as shit. And then the diver morphs into an octopus, jets away. Mm -hmm. Okay. Could, I mean, that sounds a lot like this story of organism 46b. It does. It does sound a lot like this story. So could organism 46b have somehow gotten trapped in this environment and like is living there or perhaps a whole family of black divers or organism 46bs live down there and procreate? And then also there are some that are just living in our oceans. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe during the last like ice age or whatever the equivalent of that is um but gets hot like some of this melted maybe when the fucking dinosaurs went extinct they like fucking blotted the sun out or whatever with the dust and then everything got really cold and these octopus were like oh we gotta go somewhere where it's warm and they just mistakenly went to the worst place you could go (laughs) which is antarctica (laughs) because it literally never unfroze who's to fucking say and now they're down there you know yeah i'm not a scientist but it's easy to pretend to be one and think like that i'm not a scientist but i play one on this podcast yeah theory number four an alien In episode 14 of Let's Get Haunted, Nat talked about Nazis in Antarctica. If you want to learn more about the Nazi expeditions and how haunted and mystical they were, there's no time to explain. You need to go back and listen to that episode. But basically, proponents of this theory state that when the Nazis went to explore Antarctica, they discovered an opening to a hollow earth or underground society full of people or things known as the Vrilia. The Vrilia were a superior alien race of magical beings. Could organism 46B be a creature that is part of the Vrilia society? Yeah. I mean, it sounds inclusive to me. Why not? Why not? If they want to be, they can be. Theory number five, a German genetic experiment gone wrong. Proponents of this theory do not believe that the Nazis were running around hollow earth with magical aliens when they went to Antarctica. Instead, they believe that they were actually conducting gene splicing experiments on different creatures and humans, hoping to develop a biological weapon to help them win the war. In this theory, one of those scientific experiments somehow escaped the grasp of the Nazis and found its way into Lake Vostok, possibly via an undiscovered underground tributary, river, or cave system. Yeah, I mean, I like that theory a lot because to me, I kind of already thought it was like an alien just because it's so different from our life forms. Um, but that's also a lot scarier. I don't know. That scares me. I'm. This is scary. Well, let's move on to our final two theories. Theory number six, a monster like the Kraken. Proponents of this theory think that Organism 46b could be a monster similar to the Kraken. 
The Kraken is a super dope monster that really needs its own two-hour episode. Yes. So I won't be going into detail for this theory, but I assume everyone knows what a Kraken is, right? So Natalia, yeah. do you want to explain what you know of the Kraken to our listeners? Let me tell you about a little man named Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> our story begins with a man named Captain Jack Sparrow aboard an undead ship called the Black Pearl. <laughs> now the TLDR is that there's a Kraken, it's a giant octopus that lives in the ocean and Sailors fear it because it takes down entire ships and it's generally ill-tempered. Correct. Great TLDR. So according to articles published to ThoughtCo.com and LiveScience.com, the Kraken is an ancient monster similar to a giant octopus or squid, though earliest stories describe it as more of a giant crab. Its main weapons are its giant tentacles, which are capable of sinking entire ships, drowning all on board. The Kraken originated in Scandinavian folklore, though it is not usually called by that name. The Kraken was said to appear as small islands on the water to fool sailors into thinking they'd found land. As the story goes, the giant sea creature would then use its long tentacles to pull ships and their crews beneath the water. It is not a god or an immortal being, and it can be killed. So, could this creature be a baby kraken? Or perhaps a relative of the kraken or some similar monster found in folklore? These it, are the questions. Yeah, it could be. It, it, like, when we give it mortality like that, it makes you just kind of feel bad for it. You're like, okay, this is like literally like a lonely octopus just trying to survive. Just trying to really live big, his dreams. So yeah. he's got to eat a lot of food and it just happens to be he sees a ship and he's like, whoa, I've never seen something like that. I wonder if I can eat it. And then he drowns a bunch of sailors and now he's got like a bad rap and everyone's like throwing spears at him. Exactly. So maybe organism 46B is just super misunderstood and it's really fucked up that we went down into its environment and like we're cutting off tentacles and trying to weaponize it for bio warfare. Yeah. Not cool. Not cool. Final theory. Theory number seven. A god. Others think that organism 46B could be a god of sorts. Indeed, there are many giant squid gods depicted in the folklore of many different cultures. For example, Natalia, have you ever heard of Cthulhu or Cthulhu? Um, is this spelled C-H-T-L-U something? C-T-H-U-L-U. Uh, I've seen this. I've never tried to pronounce it in my mind. Like, you know, when you just see a word and you don't even try. Well, it's funny you say that because a lot of people argue about what the proper pronunciation is. But, but basically, this guy also needs his own two-hour episode. Right. So here's a Wikipedia TLDR. Cthulhu or Cthulhu is thought to be a god or monster of a vaguely anthropoid outline, but with an octopus-like head whose face was a mass of feelers, a scaly, rubbery-looking body, prodigious claws on hind and forefeet, and long, narrow wings behind. It's basically a cross between a man, an octopus, and a dragon, and he is usually depicted as being green and living in the sea. It is thought to be a malevolent entity and is worshipped by several cults as a god. Okay, now I know what this is. It's like a reptilian, amphibious thing. Yes, and skeptics argue that this creature is a fictional invention by the 1920s sci-fi author H.P. Lovecraft and that it was never meant to be taken seriously. But then followers of Cthulhu or Cthulhu 
argue that Lovecraft gave a fictional story based on a real entity. So, right. like, you can't say that just because someone wrote a story about... It makes it not real. Yeah, like, someone could write fanfic mm-hmm. about President Bush, but yeah. that doesn't mean he wasn't a real person who lived, right? Right. So it is very haunted, though. President Bush equals Cthulhu? Oh! Uh, could Organism 46B be some sort of anthropomorphic octopus god? Who's to say? Yeah, I mean, are those all the theories? Those are all the theories, and now we enter part five, final thoughts. Natalia, I would love to hear what you think about this story, whether or not you think it's true, and what is your favorite theory? Um, I, so, okay, let me, like, recap just for my brain. So we heard, it is true that Antarctica has lakes underneath that's like a proven that's a fact fact and it is true that we have all of these world superpowers like fighting over who gets to go to the lake first correct and it is true that the russians drilled something down there with antifreeze and everyone was like kind of pissed about it but then they were like no 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 no, it's fine because this was so pressured that it like when we got to it it just popped and like blew a bunch of uh like water into the hole and plugged it back up so actually fact. everything's fine fact okay. But the part that is we don't have proof of is like what Dr. Padalka said. Dr. Padalka said. And some people say Dr. Padalka is not even real. Mm -hmm. Um, And the confusion comes from this author, Michael Forsyth, who I so I took stuff that he said on his website, which you can go to. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, And I also took stuff from other articles, from Reddit, from um, 4chan, from like different conspiracy theory websites, from cryptids.fandom.com. I took all these different sources and took the most interesting parts and put them together into this narrative. Because as we talked about in the infield horror, um, with cryptid stories, it's really hard to like Mm -hmm. tell fact from fiction. Sometimes these like local stories take on a life of their own Mm -hmm. and and the details get lost. Mm -hmm. So we're not really sure what happened and what's an embellishment. Um, but some people say, look, Forsyth, this author, yeah, he's a fictional writer, but much like this Cthulhu creature, mm-hmm. like the story existed already. Yeah. It's just that an author decided to write a fictional account. But did he write a fictional account or did he take real facts, put them together and then add some, you know, colorful language? Was 9-11 an inside job? Some things we might never know. We may never know. I will say that I really liked this episode. Um, and based off of what the facts are that you just told me, like what we know as a fact and what we like have heard through the underground 4chan railroad of information. Of truth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, it is really fishy that all of a sudden they're not publicizing anything more about Antarctica. And it was like this big deal. We're like, hey, look, everyone, we're amazing. Look what we're doing. So even if it doesn't, like, even if they just stopped talking because they realized that they, like, contaminated Yeah, they contaminated (laughs) this, like, precious resource. Or maybe they realized that, like, the world is, like, literally going to end because, like, they released some sort of gas that's going to, like, eat up all of the organic material on Earth or something. I don't know. 
but something not good happened. Otherwise, they would publicize it because that's what the news does, whether it's fake or real. They try to make themselves look good. And the fact that there's no fake news of being like, look, we discovered this. It's amazing. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's no. That's a great point. Why is there a conspiracy theory or urban legend about this organism? But there's no conspiracy theory or urban legend where the Russians are like, yeah, we made it down and we pulled out this ice core sample and these water samples and we found. Yeah, we found microplastics or whatever it was that they found. Yeah. And look at now we've published our findings and aren't we so great? And everyone give us funding and bow down to Putin. Like, why right. why is also that not being publicized? I know. It's super weird. It's almost like they just wanted us to forget about it. And go away. But yeah. obviously, if, like, NASA scientists are stoked on it and doing interviews and, like, people, like, geologists and ecologists and right. everyone was so pumped globally, internationally. Mm-hmm. And now, all of a sudden, there's nothing. Yeah, it is fishy. So I don't know what they found down there. Like, was it a, a giant octopus from another world or was it something worse like we don't know you know could this be one of those psychic eye things where uh the government is throwing out some story because they're like let's just have everyone think this is what happened when in reality something much worse happened like we did find a nazi base underground and they're working on nuclear weapons right now and they're unstable and they told us that if we like drill any further they're just gonna fucking nuke the whole world i don't know or what if they drilled into an alien base oh right you know some people think that underneath antarctica there are alien bases and or military bases even though we're from not supposed another to be planet. there yeah like it could be yeah here's another theory it could be an alien base from another planet who's like hey yeah we are going to put our base here in this place where there's fresh water so we'll have plenty of resources um it's highly pressurized and we predict that this ice is going to be there for another million at least years and it's really hard to reach nobody will ever find us and then this psychic medium ruins everything by allegedly like making people realize there's a lake there's an anomaly down there yeah also how interesting if we believe that story by the way about the psychic medium Uh there has to be significance to that lake right you know what i mean because why why would this medium have this vision and be able to like remotely sense that there's a quote-unquote anomaly there if it's just a fucking lake like who gives a shit it was the british who said that they had one yeah what if though okay so this is skeptic theory but it's also interesting what if because everyone was competitive over finding this stuff but no one wanted to contaminate anything and like we're not supposed to be like doing war crimes or whatever what if they just uh like did a bunch of shit they weren't supposed to do in antarctica to find out where it was like they had some sort of like military spy plane that like could penetrate with like radioact radio waves or something like that that like is controversial that found out exactly where they're supposed to go or what if they fucking physically drilled down there or they just did some shit they weren't supposed to do right or found a secret cave system entrance and like they weren't supposed to be there yeah Yeah. and so they're like how did you know where to look and they were like no we just used a medium yeah don't ask questions i won't tell you lies it was the psychic jeff ridley (laughs) uh the famous jeff ridley and no you can't talk to him (laughs) is he real not telling you Great, great story. Yeah, I, out of all those theories, I don't know which one. I mean, the Cthulhu one is pretty fucking interesting. 
and it would i do like it when a cryptid ends up being like a god of an ancient civilization i feel like it makes sense because if you're an ancient civilization and you see something like that you're like this is scary it can kill me it's my god now because it's powerful exactly and the thing that i like about this episode is it ties back to so many other uh-huh. episodes we've done right so if you're listening to this and you're like oh this wasn't as deep of a dive as i wanted I remember at the end of my um, Black Carpet and Black Diver episode, I said, I'm going to be talking about something that I think ties into this, but it's too long to include in this episode. It's almost as if every episode we've ever done has been leading up to this moment. Dun, dun, dun. We did the Nazis in Antarctica to prep us. We did the Black Diver. We just, before this, did the one on Amo, who was like up in the haunted fucking Arctic Circle, whatever the fuck he was doing. Nick Caging. Yes. So it's like, is everything coming together? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But I will say- I I will continue to search for the truth. I will also say I love cryptid episodes. Selfishly, I think they might, besides alien episodes, cryptid episodes are some of my favorite. So thank you everyone for listening and indulging me in this- cryptid episode that's possibly fiction possibly truth we just don't know right and is the truth stranger than fiction sometimes sometimes in this case probably not but it it could be is will ferrell the protagonist of this story wearing a watch that saves him from certain death in the movie stranger than fiction i don't know i am going to read my sources for this episode and then i'm going to ask you for your sign off Sources for this episode include cryptids.fandom.com, article on Organism 46B, also newsintact.com, an article published by Author Unknown on October 16, 2020, entitled Russian Scientist Claims Team Battled the Organism 46B Creature Under Antarctic Ice, forsythstories.com by C. Michael Forsyth, He wrote a story called Russian Scientist Claims Team Battled Creature Under Antarctic Ice. News.climate.columbia.edu, an article entitled Scientists Drill Two Miles Down to Ancient Lake Vostok by David Funkhauser. And finally, Thoughtco.com, an article entitled The Kraken, Origins of the Clash of the Titans Movie Monster. Natalia, Mm -hmm. can you please give us your sign off? Yes. Um, okay. BRB about to go drill down two miles into the Antarctic octocutussy uh, <laughs> environment and find out the secrets the past fifteen million years have been hiding for us in the in the Antarctic octocutussy. What is it? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's an Antarctic What do you? It's like a hole going down into Antarctica. Oh, slide down the Antarctic. Cussy. Yeah. Yeah. The Antarctic Cussy. Wow. <laughs> Bye. Bye.